Good morning. Welcome to Mount Calvary Church. I hope you're doing okay this morning. Another week is down and we're just uh, taking it a day at a time. I do hope your family is okay. And like Jonathan has said, um, anything we can do to care for you, even if that's a phone call, even if it's a conversation, um, we would love to do that with you and for you. This is different, uh, but this is, this is our new normal. And so we're going to, just like we sang, trust God um, and hold on and continue to love the best that we know how. Now, let's pray again as we open up his word. Father, thanks for today. Thanks for the worship. Thanks for your scripture, psalms, and for our the chance that we get to read your word. Thanks for our missionaries and uh, that are all over the world. And um, we give it all to you this morning. God, we are sitting here in our houses or wherever we are, and um, we recognize the challenges that are before us. And we're asking you now, by your Holy Spirit, to come and to encourage us to speak to us, to convict us, to reassure us. God, so we pray that in these next couple of moments that no matter what we carry, no matter where we struggle, no matter what the distractions may be today, that you would help us to hear from you. And we need that today, God. So speak through your word, by your spirit, right now. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. So we've been walking with the Israelites the the past couple of weeks. We've seen them come over these large sand dunes, working through the wilderness. And so we've spent some time thinking about these struggles, the desperation of God's people. And last week, we talked about how God took on the wrath of himself. The rock was struck from Moses, and God freely gives us fresh flowing water. And you finish that scene in Exodus 17, 8, and you think, man, this has to finally be the end of the struggle. I mean, the Israelites have gone through the wilderness now. They've been hungry and thirsty time after time after time. And you're just thinking as you read the story, after God gives them water, this has to be the end. And you get to verse 8 and you realize that this isn't over yet. Now, it's a different kind of, of fight, a different kind of struggle. What was hunger and thirst? In verse 8, the new struggle that we're going to see is a battle, a war. And so we're going to see for the first time in Israelites' history of a battle, a war. And we're going to see this is kind of an introduction that Moses is giving us for this next stage in the Exodus. The Exodus has happened for the Israelites. They have been redeemed from Egypt. But now there was something new that was about to happen. You've been saved and now you're going to set out your new chapter in your ministry and your mission. 
is going to be the conquest of the land, of getting to the promised land, getting to the place that God has promised you. And it's not going to happen without war, without battle. And as we look at this first fight of many that you're going to see over the next 40 years for the Israelites, this first battle serves as a primer or as a guide to all the battles that we're going to see the Israelites go to. But here's what's interesting. If you view this battle kind of as, as kind of the, um, a good example of all the battles that are come, when you look at the ba- this battle in that way, you realize there's not much to this story. There's no meat to the story. There's no details of the fighting. There's no information, not much information on who they're fighting. And so if this is our guide to the battle, then it's, it leaves us wanting more. Now, I love, personally love, watching a good war movie. Okay, we, I was watching... A few nights ago, Endgame, the Avengers Endgame movie. And it's a great movie. The last hour, the battle, is, it is so intense. Good versus evil. Okay, If you're expecting a good war movie or good details to the story here in Exodus 17, if you wanted to make a movie out of Exodus 17 and the battle that we're about to see with the Amalekites, then you're going to be disappointed because Moses doesn't give us the details. He leaves out so much and he does it for a purpose. He does it for a a reason. He doesn't want us to get distracted. He doesn't want us to miss the point of what he's trying to teach his people and us today about this war. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. What is God teaching us through this battle. Three points that we're going to look at. We are in a fight and we are vulnerable. That's our first point. The Lord is our victory. And then we'll close with the, the, the fact that Moses is telling us, do not forget what I'm telling you. Remember these things well. If you could turn to Exodus 17, verses 8 through 16. Verse 8 says this, starting in verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him. And he fought with Amalek, with Moses and Aaron and Hur, and they went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Verse 13, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. And I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. 
And Moses built an altar, and he called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. A short battle scene, yet such an important scene for us to to hold on to today. First point is this. We are in a fight, and we are vulnerable. Look at what's happening here. Okay, God didn't have to make his people fight. If you think about the story of Exodus, they hadn't done much fighting up to this point in Exodus 17. Up to this point, as they watched God work, they were spectators. They were watching God do the work. If you think through some of the the plagues, what was the Israelites' role in the plagues? How did they contribute? They didn't contribute. Stand there and watch God work through Moses. What about their role in the Passover? Follow some simple instructions and go to sleep. How about the Red Sea? You remember Exodus 14, 14. Stand there, stop moving, let me win this for you. And so you can almost just picture the Israelites in Exodus 17 when we hear that this group of people is coming to wage war against them. In verse 8, you can almost hear the Israelites in verse 9 thinking this. Well, Moses, why don't you get your wooden pole? Wave it around in circles. Do something about this. Maybe not frogs this time. That, that's a little messy. Wave it around. Hocus pocus. Make these people disappear, Moses. It's time for you to do what you've been doing while we sit here and watch. But that's not how it's working this time. Moses says, choose men for you. It is the day to fight. Something was changing in their participation of what God was doing. And as I just think about this, this is why I love this book, is that we, as believers in Jesus Christ, as the church, can relate so well to the scenes in Exodus, to the Israelites. They were redeemed from slavery in Egypt, not because of anything special about the Israelites, They weren't special. They weren't a large group of people. They weren't especially talented. But God, through Moses, redeemed these people. And we can relate to that, right? Our slavery isn't to a person, to a regime. Our slavery, according to God's word, is to our sin, to our struggle to live life the way we want to apart from our creator, that we have been redeemed through Christ, through his death, through his resurrection, not because there's anything special about us, not because we, we look better than the people around us, we are qualified better than anyone else, but only because of grace we have been redeemed through Christ. So we can relate to the Israelites. The exodus has happened, but like we said, there's a change in what God is doing. The exodus is now becoming the conquest, where they were more passively letting God redeem them. Now the shift was, it's time to fight. 
It's time to fight to do what God wants to do. And for us, it's the same for us once we've been redeemed. Once we have been saved and rescued and freed from captivity of our sin, the call is, it's time to fight. Now, we're not fighting people, but we have a fight still today. We fight our sin nature that is dead and disarmed and powerless, yet we still can choose to have it to have it reign over us. And so we're fighting our sin nature. Romans 6, Paul says to us, don't let your sin reign in your body, obeying its passions. Fight against going backwards. We fight for faith. We fight for righteousness. Paul tells Timothy, pursue righteousness. Fight the good fight of faith. We are fighting to go towards looking more like Christ because it's not always natural. It's not always easy. And so we're called to fight. We've been redeemed, which is God's doing, and that's great. But now it's time to work and to pursue righteousness, faith. We're fighting evil. We're fighting. Ephesians 6 tells us that there is a real war happening with the evil one against us, and it's invisible. And we can't see it, yet God has prepared us with the spiritual tools to fight with the evil one, what Satan is doing. We're fighting a world that is dying and decaying. We're fighting a brokenness that's happening in our world because of sickness and virus. We're fighting brokenness in relationships. We're fighting a physical fight with our bodies because we're getting older. We're unable to do exactly what we want to do. And so the call is still is similar to the Israelites. You've been saved. You've been redeemed. Now it's time to fight to get to the next stage. And the call for us as believers in Christ is very similar. Fight. Work, pursue to go after what God has called you to. And, and as we realize, as we understand that we fight, I think it goes alongside of this picture of fighting and pursuing that, that we are vulnerable. Like the picture of fighting means the picture of struggle, of you're not always going to win that we are woundable, is how I saw it was written this week. That we're able to struggle in the fight. And if COVID-19 has taught us anything, anything at all, it's that we aren't in control. That we live in a harsh world that is beating up against us. Paul describes us as people who are like jars of clay, afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, being given over to death, but yet the call is still to fight even though there's struggle. And as we go back to our story in Exodus 17, look at how the fight continues. You know the story well. You're 
the kids. You guys know this story well. It's a little odd, right? It's a little bit out there. It's not a normal battle story, but you know how it happens. Israel would be winning in the battle when Moses' hand and the staff were in the air. While it was down, they would lose the lead. And Moses, throughout the day, needed help holding up his hand in the air. And so his friends in a rock, they help him keep his hand in the air. Now, over the years, there have been multiple interpretations of the significance of what's happening in this story. Multiple ways of trying to apply this story with Moses at this battle, applying it to us today. Probably the most popular interpretation of this story is that we are being taught the power of prayer. That when we pray and we raise our hands to God, God will hear. And when we aren't praying, there's no power in that. And as I've read these different um, applications or interpretations of this passage, honestly, none of them have settled with me. I'm not sure that these are this prayer idea is the main force of the passage. Why isn't Moses talking to God? Why isn't it clear that he is calling upon God? Why isn't he speaking to God like he is praying to him? And It's just not clear to me that that's what's happening. So there's confusion in this passage about the application for us. But here's what I think, if it's worth anything. The one common denominator, as you look at this story, you compare it to where we've been in Exodus 16, is what Moses is holding in his hand. And you remember from last week, we talked about the significance of the staff of God. The same staff that Moses used to strike the rock is the same staff that Moses is holding in his hand as he raises it to become victorious in this battle. And I think that's significant because we talked about what the staff last week was a symbol of. It's a symbol of God's presence. It's a symbol of God's power, of God's judgment. It's a symbol of with the plagues of how God's power is going to work on behalf of the Israelites. It's a symbol of his power being greater than anything that the battle can have happened. And so what God is doing here, from my understanding of this text, is he is teaching them, a powerful lesson about victory. Through a weird story with weird details because he wants them to remember how they won this battle. It isn't their strategy. It wasn't their planning. It wasn't their army. It wasn't their strength. It wasn't their numbers. It wasn't their determination because none of it mattered. The only thing that mattered was when Moses had in his hand the staff of God up in the air. What is he telling us? What is he speaking to us? He's saying victory is completely tied to the act and the work and the power of God. Your fearless leader, Moses, can't even do it for you, right? Moses gets tired. Moses can't hold up his arm the whole day. 
The only victory you have is in my power. Now, how does he close this passage? He spends a couple of verses in verses 14, 15, and 16 saying, you need to remember this battle scene, not the battle in the valley. You need to remember what happened on the hillside. And if you look there at verses 14 through 16, look at the different ways that he tells them not to forget. Okay, he does what I like to do with my kids when it's something really important. I tell them multiple ways of remembering. Look at what he says. Write this down as a memorial in a book. Verse 14, the second half of 14. Recite it in the ears of Joshua that I'm not done working here. So he's saying, tell Joshua that victory has started here in this battle, but I will finish what I started. And then lastly, verse 15, build an altar and name it, the Lord is my banner. So here's what he's saying. I need you to write this down. I need you to verbally speak it to somebody else. And then I need you to build an altar memorializing, helping you to remember, to see something that I've done today. And what are you calling the altar? What are you writing down about this place? Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my victory. God has given you victory today. The power of God that's in my hand, that's the staff, God's judgment His presence is the reason that you won today and what happened in the valley means nothing. The Lord is my banner. Now that's kind of a unique phrase that maybe we don't understand at first glance or first hearing. Um, It's a phrase that is saying this is a declaration of victory. This was a phrase that was used in warfare when troops would be engaging in battle. They would take a stand or they'd be winning the battle. They would often put a pole in the ground. They'd put a banner up saying, remember the victory that you had here today. And for us, that's how we are to understand the banner. A, a Helping us to remember, to see that God has declared victory, that what's on the banner is God's name. It's not your efforts. It's not your strategy. It's God gave you victory today. Take that flag. Take the banner and wrap it around you. Tell your kids about it. Write it down. Build something to help you remember it. Don't forget that your victory is only because of me. Now, as we've made kind of our connection with the Israelites, right? We um, have been redeemed through our exodus, not to Pharaoh, but to our sin. That we've been redeemed because of what he's done. And yet we are called now to fight, to fight the good fight of faith, as Paul tells Timothy, to fight our sin, okay? Yet at the same time, we can relate to this scene in Exodus 17, the Lord is my victory. But here's what we need to know. Okay, our banner, okay, our flag, the altar that, that has been built, the flag that has been put in the ground to remember the victory on this battlefield, 
Our personal victory is not at a battlefield. Our victory, being able to declare, like the Israelites declared here, the Lord is my victory, is not from a war fought on the ground among people. Our banner of victory is at a graveyard. Our banner of victory was at the empty tomb. The way that we can declare the Lord is my victory is because Jesus Christ has been resurrected. And for us today, we can now declare victory over our struggle, over our pain, over the war that we have to face in the world because of the resurrection. Look at how Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our victory today has happened because of the resurrection. And so here we are. I mean, we're sitting in our houses and we are in a situation that is, like Jonathan said, uncertain. Uncertain for all of us. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And that is unnerving. But here's something I do know. Whatever comes tomorrow, our victory in Christ over whatever it is, is not a question. It's not, will we be victorious in whatever happens tomorrow? No, it's a declaration. The Lord is my victory in whatever tomorrow has. Whatever comes tomorrow, we can put the banner in the ground. Christ has made us victorious already. One of the things that I like to do, I think I've mentioned this before, is to re-watch the 2017 Clemson, Alabama football national championship game. Somebody mailed me a DVD of the game, and now that there's not live sporting events on, I, maybe this is weird, I really enjoy watching this game. Um, and what happens in this game, I'm a big Clemson fan, and there was, I was watching it a while ago, and there's a point in the second quarter where the team that Clemson is playing, Alabama, their running back breaks through on offense, breaks through, goes and scores a touchdown in the second quarter, and the score is 14 to nothing. And I'm watching this game, okay? Mind you, the game's already happened. We already have seen the actual event. But I'm watching this game, the, the rerun of this game, and it's weird to say it, but I'm still kind of nervous, like, they're losing 14 to nothing, and my lovely wife is sitting across from me saying, like, what are you doing? Like, you've seen this game. It's an old game. You already know who's going to win this game. Why are you nervous? Why are you cheering like you've never seen this game? Clemson is going to win. 
And, and for us, that's the reminder that we need. Jesus has given us victory. He has given it to us. There is no question. We need to not act like whatever tomorrow holds, that there's even a question. Because if the games happened, Jesus has died on the cross, the grave was empty, and all victory was won in that event. And so now we can be confident that as scary as tomorrow or next week or next year is, that we can declare right now that Jesus is still victorious. And what that should do is it should change the level of our anxiety about tomorrow. Like when I was watching the Clemson game live that night, I think we had a meeting that night, and I got in late, and I'm watching the game. The level of anxiety of watching the game live, we're losing 14-0, was, was major. I am nervous. Okay, that's a whole nother level of the anxiety that I feel last week when I was watching the game, because deep down I did know who was going to win that game, and that should be us. Yeah, we can be uneasy, we can be unsure, but we are rooted in the foundation. We are stabilized. Even though we're nervous and even though we're slightly concerned, we can be rooted in the fact that regardless of tomorrow, Jesus is my victory. And so for me to you today, I want to encourage you to de declare that truth to yourself this week. The Lord is my victory over sin. Sin does not have to dominate your life. Sin does not have to own you, whatever that is for you. The Lord is already victorious over my sin. The Lord is already victorious over my guilt and my shame. That, that we don't have to be run down through our past actions. The Lord is victorious over viruses. The Lord is victorious over brokenness and broken relationships. The Lord is already victorious over death. And so for us, as we think about tomorrow and we watch the news about tomorrow, to take the banner of Jehovah Nisi and say, okay, he's already victorious. May that Define us this week, stabilized in the, it's already happened, victory of Jesus Christ because of his resurrection. May that be our cry this week. Father, thank you for today that we can read a battle scene from so many years ago in Exodus 17, but we can learn a lesson that is so applicable for us today. That though we are fighting for faith, for righteousness, ultimately you have given us victory in Christ. God, I pray that that banner of truth of the victory that we have at the resurrection would cover us and comfort us and secure us and give us courage and boldness to hold on to you because we know, we trust you. So God, help us, God, to do that. Help us to find comfort in that truth. It's in your name we pray.
Amen.